Welcome back to God's Work Display. It's been a little while since I've dropped an episode. Uh, I was trying to do some interviews, but I was having technological glitches, and uh, I got a little frustrated, so I hung it up for a while, and um, now I'm deciding to come back. I will eventually do the interviews if I can get some um, technological things figured out. Um, but in the meantime, I thought I would go ahead and move on with kind of the way I was originally doing things with working through sections of the book and maybe even stuff that wasn't in the book and, and kind of developing that more uh, in more practical ways and more um, <clears throat> easy to understand ways that are a little less dense, hopefully. I'm dense, so sometimes I make things dense. But, um, I so I'm, I'm going to be proceeding that way. So for the next couple of podcasts, I'm not sure exactly how, I'm actually going to do a series on the Good Samaritan. Um, it's kind of come to my realization that a lot of people completely misunderstand what the Good Samaritan is teaching, and particularly in how to apply that. And so I'm going to do um, the first episode. Definitely, is going to be kind of an exegetical um, walk through that passage which that means I'm just going to kind of look at what's being said, what that actually means in the context, and <clears throat> then we'll do a little bit of application. And then the later episode, maybe uh, subsequent episodes, we'll look at more applications, how that plays out, specifically how that looks when we apply it directly to individuals with severe and profound intellectual disabilities. But also, I'm going to try to widen that in this case, just because it's so misused uh, and I think that way maybe if people hear oh this is how it would work in this case or this is how it will work in that case we can you'll have a better idea of generalizing it to other situations and then it can be appropriately applied <clears throat> and those subsequent episodes we won't probably just stick with um, the exegesis of the Good Samaritan necessarily well, I'm gonna pull in exegetical understandings of other passages in scripture that tie in directly to this. You know, if you may not realize it, but and we'll get to this, but in the Good Samaritan, in this in this what we call a pericope, this little episode, Jesus actually references Leviticus. And because a lot of people get really scared of Leviticus. But to understand what's going on, we have to understand Leviticus. And so there's a lot of interplay, what we call intertextuality. Um uh, of reading back into older uh, previous text and then reading uh, forward into those texts and a lot of things that go on. So <clears throat> I've been doing a lot of uh, reading and thinking a lot about this, so that's going to inform that as well. That's kind of how we're going to go forward. I also apologize if you hear these loud dunk dunk dunk. That's the best I can do for this. Uh, they are, <laughs> they've totally tore up the road in front of our house and they're doing major construction on it. So sometimes you're hearing dumps, uh, dump trucks and excavators and things like that. So please forgive me. Um, I think that this, the way I'm having to record, that's probably the best way to do that. So <clears throat> that being said, we're going to read through the Good Samaritan. And then we're going to look at what is going on within the text and how that applies. So before we get started, I try to uh, spend time praying about what we're going to do. I hope that you take this time during the podcast to also pray 
Um, it, you can join me in prayer for what I pray for or pray for specific things. I know I struggle with praying and taking time to pray. So perhaps if we just, uh, if you listen to this podcast and I'm taking some time out of your day for you to listen to this, hopefully this little bit of time I carve out is beneficial and edifying for all of us and that we can um, be united to Christ through the through the act of prayer. So let's pray. Father, we are coming to you again um, during this time, time of chaos in our world, uh, as it always is, um, and particularly some people are feeling it more intensely than others. So Lord, I ask that those of us who are in Christ, you bind us and knit us together in the unity of love uh, even more deeply than we have been, that we truly understand that though we are different in many ways, whether intellectually or through our skin color or through the amount of money that we have in our bank account, that what is truly important and what is uniting to us is that those of us in Christ are washed in his blood. So help us to remember that, that you have called us together and you have brought us together to be a family that is of one blood, and that is the blood of Christ. And so, Lord, help us to know that. Help us to be thinking um, through Scripture well. Um, help us in this time we take to look at the Good Samaritan passage. Help us to see it clearly for what it is and how it is calling us to live and to love those first to our brothers and sisters in Christ and then those to uh, outside of our family. Remembering that each one of us is made in your image and you are the one who wrought us together and that you knew us before all time and that you lovingly crafted us and you brought us into this world and so we can love one another deeply knowing that. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, so if you're not familiar with the Good Samaritan, it's going to be in the Gospel of Luke, and it's specifically in chapter 10. And what's happening here um, in chapter 10, we're, gonna, we're not going to start at the very beginning of chapter 10 because that's way too much um, for us to read. But uh, starting around verse 17, uh, what happens is that the disciples have come back from a mission. He sent seven, 70 out. And there's actually some Old Testament stuff going on there that's connected to that. <clears throat> and so they've come back, and they're asking him, like, wow, how, I can't believe that happened, and, or how does this happen? And they're just exclaiming, like, all the joy they had with having the power of God to bring blessings to people. And so there's a crowd around him, and they're telling this, and then they're starting to ask questions, and he's teaching and so then we get to um, verse 25. And he had just, Jesus prior to that had just said privately to his disciples um, that they have seen great things that others wish to have seen. And what is happening uh, then is that there's. Clearly, somebody wants to interrupt and kind of get in that business. So, <clears throat> Jesus uh, then 
is questioned by what's called a lawyer. Now, a lawyer is not what we think of as an attorney uh, here in the United States. <clears throat> this is somebody who knows biblical law really well and has studied the Mosaic Covenant really well. So I mentioned earlier about Leviticus, so he knows Leviticus really well. He knows he knows Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy down pat. He probably has most of that memorized. Uh, and then he obviously probably knows quite a bit of the rest of the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament. <clears throat> so he's going to put him to a test. So I'm going to read, starting in verse 25, and I'm going to read till verse 37. And that's kind of what I consider is, is the, the Good Samaritan passage. Your Bibles might be broken up a little differently um, with different headers in different places. Well, guess what? Those headers don't actually exist. And it's just the translation you have, they just added that in to try to be helpful. Sometimes it is, sometimes it is not. Um, and just in case you didn't know, chapters and verses were a later invention too, so uh, don't get hung up on the numbers because uh, sometimes they're not the same in all the places. But just for convenience, we're going to start in Luke 10, verse 25, and it reads, And a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down on that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, who was on a journey, came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion, and came to him, and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day he took out two denarii, and gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, The one who showed mercy toward him. Then Jesus said to him, Go and do the same. So, that's the Good Samaritan. It's probably very familiar with most of you. And, I, and that's good. It's a good, it, it's preached on a fair bit. Um, and in general, most of the time, the sermons are roughly where they should be with that. One of the difficult things about this sermon is it's, or about this particular passage, is that it is exceptionally challenging to us. What it is calling us to do is something that we absolutely do not want to do particularly when we are not um, endowed with the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit is changing us, making us more like Christ. So hopefully, if we are um, 
had the Holy Spirit residing in us then, then yes, we will desire to do that. But there's there's a part of our old person, our old man, as, as we're told, that will not want to do this. So this isn't a challenging passage. It's very difficult. And what Jesus is telling us is that we have to show compassion and mercy to people. So um, I, I spent some time in my book actually writing on this. And so I'm going to be pulling out some some things from the book to better understand that, uh, to understand what's going on in this passage. So one of the biggest things that I think that people miss about this, and this is maybe going to be a little controversial, but I, I believe I have the exegetical backing on this. The, I believe the text is saying this. This is why I'm saying this, because I believe the text is saying this. If you can show me textually why this is wrong, then I'll listen to you. Um, but from what I can read of <clears throat> the passage, when I've looked at it in Greek, when I've looked at it with, um, or looked at the different commentaries, I, I think that, that the text is on my side, or I'm on the Texas side of this. So <clears throat> what, what happens is that <clears throat> um, there is this, command that Jesus has to go and do the same, what he's telling the lawyer uh, at the end, you know, he says who the one, so because the lawyer answers incorrectly that the person who was the neighbor was the Samaritan who was showing mercy and compassion, Jesus says then, then go, show mercy and compassion um, and what Jesus, what's, what's happening here in the breakdown of the, when we look at this passage, is this is a individual command okay so what he's saying is you lawyer and now when you're reading the text because we are the lawyer in this case when when Luke was writing this in a sense we kind of become the lawyer asking the question who is my neighbor this is how we are it's a beautiful it's really fascinating in terms of um, at a literary aspect what Luke has done here so Jesus is now speaking to us um, you can almost imagine if this was a, a movie or a television show or even a, a little PSA commercial. Um, so the the attorney, the lawyer says, the one who showed mercy toward him, this is verse 37, and then you can almost imagine the camera's right at Jesus, Jesus is looking at the attorney, and then right before Jesus says the next point, he turns and looks at the camera, so he's looking right at you and says, go and do the same. In this case, Jesus is saying this is an individual command. Now, there's a debate going on about what salvation is, if it's individual or if it's about a group and stuff. And this is not this is not about this. This is a an individual command of how to live. And and I don't believe there's any dispute on that. So this individual command, though, is not for you to form a political action committee to advocate that people should vote for something that you think is good. This is not about what that is. This is saying when you see someone that is in need, that needs mercy and compassion, you are to be the neighbor to them. You are to care for them. You are to take personal responsibility for them. Um, and, and the reason we know that is when we look at this passage of the Good Samaritan. So there was a man... It was going from Jerusalem to Jericho. It was kind of a dangerous road. He's going through a rough area. 
and there's a lot of other things that can go on. We can talk about the priest and the Levite while they were on the road and stuff. At this point, it doesn't really matter all the uh, motives for them. What we do know, though, is the priest is going down. A priest is someone who serves in the temple of Yahweh, the Lord God, the living God. The, this is a man who makes sacrifices when he's serving in the temple. They, they didn't serve year-round. They served in shifts, essentially, like a couple months or weeks. This priest should know who God is. He knows the law. He knows he has hopefully experienced the presence of God within the temple when he's made sacrifices for his own self and on the behalf of others. And what's he do? He sees a man hurt and moves on. Now, let's let's grant the priest was maybe afraid he was going to get attacked. Or he thought the man was dead and he was afraid of being ritually unclean. That's a total lack of compassion. <clears throat> the, in case you didn't know, those um, uncleanness laws, those ritually unclean rules, <clears throat> it's not saying that you're a sinner. All it says is that you are ritually unclean, and thus, um, if you are ritually unclean, you have to abstain from participating in some temple sacrifices, um, and you have to go through a process to become ritually clean, okay? So, one of the common ones is touching a dead body. If you are preparing a body to be buried, you know, you're anointing them and cleaning them and all this stuff we don't do now, which, that's a whole other topic, but I think we should go back to an older way of doing this. But, that, needless to say, that's not a sinful thing to prepare a body for, for burial, there's nothing sinful about that. It's just you're ritually unclean. And so after you do that, you have to, and I can't remember exactly, you can look that up. You know, you have to uh, wash yourself a certain way and um, and then then the next, you can't sacrifice until the next day or, or however long the period is. That's all it is. But the priest didn't want to have to go through all that. He didn't want to inconvenience himself in case that man was dead. Okay, or if he was, if that man was ritually unclean, he would become unclean. He, so he didn't want to do that. So the priest, he's not loving his neighbor. Then we go, <clears throat> we next see the Levite coming by. Levite, he also serves in the temple. He may not be doing the sacrifices, but there's other jobs he's doing. You know, he's making sure that all the equipment is the way it's supposed to be, or uh, keeping the grounds as they should be, and uh, keeping out people who should not be in there. You know, all these things. But he still has to deal with the ritual and cleanness stuff, too. So he, he's kind of, and he would know the scripture as well. In order to serve, he would know what his rules are. And again, it's the same motivation as the priest. I don't want to be ritually unclean. Or I'm afraid of robbers. I don't want to risk myself to help somebody. Okay? So next we have the Samaritan come along. Now, Samaritans, and the view of in the minds of who Jesus is talking to, um, Jews in Judea, the Samaritans were dirty, filthy, horrible people. They were horrible. They uh, didn't understand where proper worship was supposed to occur. They had a really screwed up understanding of what the, the Bible was. Remember, the Bible didn't include the New Testament at that time, but still. And then they had all these other weird things, and they were intermarried with Gentiles, and 
just they were terrible people and they were the worst people ever and uh, all this. So here comes along the Samaritan. And he sees the man and he felt compassion. Now what, there's the distinction going on here. Um, the Levite and the priest both saw the man and they had no emotional response. But the Samaritan, he felt compassion. Now, we're going to jump back up, okay, because we're now in verse 33, but I want you to remember verse 27, um, the, the lawyer had asked Jesus, um, how do you inter inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And then the lawyer's like, yeah, you're right. Um, and so what's happened is that's actually a Greek translation of the Hebrew. And so there's, if you read the Hebrew, it would be a little different. But it doesn't, in this case, it doesn't matter. Within that component, it's, it's listing all the being of a person, all the aspects of a person's um, essential nature. And part of that is your emotions. Okay, We are to worship God with our emotions as well as our mind, as well as with our soul, whatever that, whatever that is. And so the, the Samaritan felt that. So he felt it. But then he didn't just stop at feeling. Okay? He's not just feeling good, for, feeling bad, feeling sad for the person. He acts on it. So he went over to him and bandaged his wounds. And the oil and the wine, that's just a way of treating the wounds at that time. Um, and actually, there probably are some antiseptic properties to that. Either way, it doesn't matter. He was doing the best he could. Okay? So then he, so he took care of him, and then he put him on his beast, and most likely like a donkey or something, so he didn't have to walk. And so then he got, that meant he had to get off of his own beast or burden his own beast even more. And then, and then took him to an inn. And so we, the way it reads, assume that overnight he was taking care of him during the night, so he probably didn't get a lot of sleep because he was wanting to make sure this guy was okay. Okay, he's personally, individually taking care of this other person. All right, do you hear that? Jesus, when he says, go and do the same, he's saying, be like the Samaritan. Take individual responsibility for those in need. All right? And so then the next day, the Samaritan has to move on. He has to take... In order for him to care for the others in his life, or maybe let's assume he's married and has kids, so he has to continue his journey. But what he does, so he's maybe maybe a merchant or something like that, and so he gives the innkeeper money, okay, to take care of this person until he gets back. And he's like, you get better take care of him. And I know this may not cover everything. I'm good for it. I'm giving you a pretty good down payment. I'm going to come back. And if there's additional cost, I will cover that cost. I will financially take responsibility for this man. Okay? That's what he does. He takes personal responsibility, which includes risking his life in case there was a setup and the robbers were going to jump him too. Touching a potentially ritually unclean man. And, and maybe that Samaritan felt that he needed to remain ritually clean using up his own resources, which includes his, um, his beast and his oil, wine, bandages, his sleep. He probably gave up his sleep, his worry about this man, his emotional um, cost, and then his financial cost. He was taking personal responsibility for this. 
And so what we're seeing is that this is a call from Jesus to us in Christ to care for individuals and to take personal responsibility for them. Now, the beauty of what's also displayed in this is that there's an aspect of this passage where the Samaritan cannot personally, on his, or at least he cannot by himself, care for this man. He has other responsibilities he has to take care of. And so he brings in the innkeeper. Now, the innkeeper, whether or not he's willing or not, that's it's not told to us. But it does not say you can't bring in partners to care to 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 accomplish a task to accomplish this cat task of caring for somebody all right so what this says is that through our mutual interactions with others face to face meetings pretty much we bring in partners to partner with us to care for others okay so what that means what what does that look like what does that mean and what does it not mean well it, uh, frankly this does not this does not say, and this is what's going to be controversial, and we're going to talk more about it as we go along. This does not say that you are to push for the government to pass certain laws to care for people. This is not what this is saying. You advocating for the government to have, let's say, health care for all, that is not biblical. Okay? We can discuss those economic and those um, other issues outside of this but that you cannot get that from this text and to say that is to malign the text and to misinterpret it <clears throat> what this is saying is that oh you know somebody that's in need of say a surgery and they don't have insurance what do you do you know what you you help them raise funds from people you know and they know to pay for that surgery. You give up some of your funds to help with that. That's how you do it. Okay? You work with the, you help them, you advocate for them, but you may have to give up your own money to help them. You know, this This is not you, and let's, let's understand this is probably some of my political views come through, but this text does not give warrant for you to say, I'm going to take money from somebody else's paycheck to help pay for something. Okay? That's not what this is saying. This is saying, I'm going to take money from my own paycheck to care for somebody. I'm going to take personal responsibility for that. Because, remember, this lawyer was trying to get out of caring for people. He was only trying to say, I only want to care for a certain number of people and certain people that agree with me. All right? So... And I don't, so if they're ritually unclean, I don't want to deal with them. If they're not, they don't think like me, I don't want to deal with them. What Jesus is saying is, no, every believer, as a response to loving God, you must love your neighbor. And if you love your neighbor, then when they are in need, you will take personal responsibility for caring for them. So first, and we'll get into this later, but that would mean you care for your other believers. So those with intellectual disabilities that are within our churches that we care for, that means that churches may have to push their members to say, hey, this is our brother or sister in our church that needs their bathroom remodeled so that it's easier for them to get in and out safely. 
we need to raise funds amongst our members to do that. We're not going to solicit a government entity to pay for that. We instead are going to encourage our members to care for our brother or sister and to get this done. That's what that looks like. So this is kind of what this is this is doing. I know this I feel kind of strongly about this and so it may be coming through with my tone of voice and I apologize if that's off-putting to you, but this is important to me. This is an area I fail in too. This is I'm preaching to myself in some ways. So we need to really exert ourselves to care for our brothers and sisters and to to sacrifice a lot for them. So I'm going to take a break. We'll come back and we'll look at some more uh, reasons why I'm going to say this. Um, so we'll listen to a little music. I need to get a drink of water and let my throat recover. And then we'll come back and look at this more intensely. Okay, thanks for being patient with me during that little break, and we're back. So, in case you forgot within that short little break that you hear on that, uh, it, within the, the podcast, um, we've been talking about what is actually happening in the Good Samaritan and what that means for us as individuals. And I've already kind of hinted at this and talked a little bit about this, that Yes, Jesus is very clear that this is uh, a command for individuals, but he doesn't he doesn't say it's just for individuals. He's to say that you can bring along people alongside of you to do this. We see Paul talk about this in Galatians with bear one another's burdens when he when he references that. And one could argue, yes, that's spiritual burdens, but when we mourn with others, when we weep with others, when we laugh with others, when we help one another um, pay medical bills or help to um, build a ramp into their home or to get them to and from doctor's appointments, that's bearing one another's burdens. And there is a spiritual component to that. I think too often we try to separate um, our spiritual things from our worldly things and that's not a biblical view. That's actually a Greek view. That's a from, from Platonic thought. That is imported in the Bible. So if you're thinking that, then that's not a biblical way of thinking. So, and this is one of the other beautiful things about this passage is that uh, we're seeing that there's a spiritual component to how a person is physically caring for another person. Okay? So that's part of it. But also... The Samaritan brings in an innkeeper. I think um, that we can easily derive from that that it's okay to bring others in. Not that you're saying, I'm out of here, but that you recognize the li- your own limitations. And you're not foisting on other people because you don't want to do it. You're foisting, you're not even foisting it. You're asking, inviting people in to help serve because they have abilities and skills in areas that you don't okay or and sometimes that may be in this case this case the innkeeper had time and the Samaritan needed to take care of some other responsibilities and then come back and notice that he doesn't 
leave the man and just roll on out and not care. He does a follow-up, okay? And we're not told what the follow-up is, but we know that he takes that responsibility to do the follow-up and to make sure things have gone well. And in the book, I do I reference some different things about how that there's the, the community aspect to it. And one of the one of the things I do reference is it's from a pretty big book um, by Klein Snodgrass. It's called Stories with Intent, A Comprehensive Guide to the Parables of Jesus. And it's a big book, but it's a very good book. Um, I would not necessarily recommend it for just anybody. I think it's more um, going to be appropriate for those of you who are um, spending time, maybe doing sermon prep or kind of textual work. It's a little dense. It goes into some of the midrashes and targums and things like that, um, and looking at some comparisons there as well. So it's it's pretty in depth, but it's a really great book, I think. And within this, though, um, Klein Snodgrass uh, discusses this this parable at length, and I, I think that it's really important um, to understand this quote he has. And so I'm going to read from him. This is from, this is Klein Snodgrass, Stories with Intent, A Comprehensive Guide to the Parables of Jesus, uh, and its publishers, Erdman's, Erdman's, uh, probably I'm saying that right, uh, 2008, and it's on page 361, and it says, We can operate much more effectively communally than individually. On the other hand, many times we must act individually as the occasion arises, and we cannot absolve ourselves from responsibility by waiting for the community to act. This parable may not tell us how to love our neighbor as ourselves, but it creates a reality that challenges our passivity and self-interest. Loving the neighbor as oneself is difficult, but no alternative is allowed for followers of Jesus. And I think that just sums up what I've been trying to say. Um, this is this is a reality. So let's let's play with a couple ideas here, okay? What does that look like in our local church? Why do I say our local church? Well, that's where we are covenanted with other believers to help um, become more like Christ, okay? You may or may not use that language in your church, but that's essentially what many of you do. Um, uh, If you take membership in, in your local congregation seriously. So let's take an example from intellectual disabilities, and then we'll actually take some other examples. So I, I kind of reference this, but this is a good one, I think. You have an individual, um, a member of your church. We've talked about it in other episodes, you know, with their member, those kind of issues. Let's let's just assume that they're a member. It's a 55-year-old woman um, who has a profound intellectual disability, is uh, wheelchair-dependent, is... Um, I'm not going to use the, some of the therapeutic technical language. Uh, they require somebody to feed them. Uh, they require somebody to to change them. Um, and they need somebody to bathe them. So essentially, um, they need, uh, well, essentially it's total care um, for the most part. Okay, there's some things they can help kind of get their shirt on, let's say, or something like that. But overall, they need... Somebody right there, maybe two people, depending on um, uh, the lift things. I'm not sure how heavy they are 
It's not important at this point. Well, actually it is. Let's, let's play with that. Yes, let's say they need two people to lift them, okay? And they are being cared by, cared for by um, a, a sibling, okay? Let's say they're being cared for by their, their younger sister who is 50. So we don't need to discuss like uh, how they, you know, what their diagnosis is. That's not really important. So they live in a um, small ranch style house Two bedroom, bath, uh, um, two bath, two bathrooms though. One is a master bath, and one is a hallway bath. Okay, they do have a ramp in and out of their home, um, so it's easy for her to get in and out. Um, and they do have occasionally somebody come in to help with giving baths, but um, the younger sister is having some health um, problems of her own, and so. One thing that would help was if they could have a bathroom that is um, more appropriate for the older sister to to use. So a bathroom that's um, what we call a roll-in shower, so that she can be transferred into kind of like a shower chair or and um, or whatever is particularly needed for her. And so they would need to remodel the master bath. Sister, the younger sister, is all for it. She's like, she can have the bedroom, the bigger bedroom. We we really need that anyways, maneuvering her wheelchair around. So I'm happy to switch it over. The younger sister is also a member. The house is um, in both their names. So there's no issue of, of uh, permission or anything like that. So... Ballpark, uh, with what I do with my current job, we do bathroom remodels. Uh, and I, I work for a governmental agency, so, um, but I deal with this some. Let's say ballpark, because of some certain issues, this remodel is going to be eight to $9,000, okay, if you were to hire a company. However, you have your church, you have um, a couple... People that own plumbing businesses, plumbing companies, you have a couple um, just general contractors, you have you have some college and high school kids um, who don't have any skills but have strong backs that will um, follow. Uh, example, and so um, and your church has a benevolence fund. But the benevolence fund only has, at this moment, a thousand dollars. Let's say you've got, and the church bylaw says it can't drop down below five hundred, uh, unless certain stipulations are met. I'm just making this stuff off with the top of my head. Off the top of my head. But um, the let's say a couple of men uh, that own the different companies, plumbing and contracting companies, say, here's what we can do. We can donate our time. Two of us are master plumbers. Um, one guy's got um, a couple, um, a co two or three guys are uh, general contractors, and um, they and they know another believer that's not at your church that's a master electrician, because you'll probably have to redo some electrical stuff. And they can 
come in and do the work for free. They are willing to do it. They can't do it during the week because of their job. They have other responsibilities. Um, but they can um, do the work on the, uh, some evenings and some weekends, some Saturdays. And they estimate that they can get the job done in a month because of how they have to do things and all that. However, this still leaves the cost of material. Your church, they, they determine that the cost of material will be $5,000. Like I said, I'm making up numbers. This is, this is where the rest of the church is like, what can we do? Well, there's some ideas. One, you, you can buy the material. And this is with the, let's say, the like contractor pricing, okay, like the bullet pricing. I would recommend first you go, the church says we need to, as members, uh, not pass a new budget, but to say, hey, can we give to this? Can we give to this? We'll create a little fund to put it in so that the church is managing that just to make sure all the funds are going in the right place. And if there's any left over, they'll go into the benevolence fund. Everybody's okay with that. So maybe that would require that um, a family gives up their cable TV subscription or that family gives up their Netflix subscription. That's all they can afford. Or you give up your your um, your daily fancy coffee drink or you, somebody decides, I can't, I'm not capable of doing some of that stuff, but I can work a little extra to give to that. That's one example of how you can do it, is working together. But you're also taking in taking on individual responsibilities to being a part of that problem solving. Um, another example that we can think of is that, let's say we have... Um, I think I mentioned this in a different podcast, not not this one. I was being interviewed for one. And um, let's say you have a single mom who has um, two kids, and she's in, you know, just a real tiny home. And um, she's doing the best. She gives on a regular basis what little she can give to, um, uh, to the offering. She's, as far as the elders and deacons and other members are concerned, she is wise with her money, and and she owns a home, and she's making payments, but um, the back porch is falling in. You know, let's say she has a wooden back porch or wooden deck, and it's falling in. We need to keep these kids safe. They're young. Let's say five and three. It's another example. Similar thing. They, people can step in and do this, raise funds for this. Let's expand a little further. Let's say that you heard that um, a family lost everything in a fire. They're not members. They're not believers. You can reach out. Start serving them. Use your time. Don't take away from members. Um, we're told to, to care for the household of God first and then for the others. But that's another example. Even before that, let's say you hear someone in another church has some needs. Let's say that member in good standing of uh, another church that you, your church partners with a lot and have very similar views, maybe just, you know, on the other ends of town, so it's not a big deal. And let's say that they are um, 
their demographics are significantly different from your church's demographics, particularly in uh, issues of ethnicity, race, and um, socioeconomic standing. You know, maybe, and so where they, and so you hear that a member um, had a heart attack and is having trouble with medical bills. Step in, help them. Don't wait for it to go to collections, all that stuff. That's not right. You step in, you help them with the bills now. And you step in and say, how can we help serve them? Get on a, um, like a, when he, when they come home, they'll say, you know, that church needs to provide, you know, do their best with meals and care for them. But then you come alongside and say, how can we also serve them? They are your brothers and sisters. They may look like different than you and talk different than you. But if they're in Christ, then they're closer to you than your biological family. So that's that's kind of where we go. I've kind of mentioned some issues with um, some things where it's building or something and, and, and kind of referenced men. I, I want um, us also to recognize that in order for churches to be doing as they're being called to do um, as the bride of Christ, to serve one another, to help one another, um, taking individual responsibility, we must make sure that women are a part of this process and are a part of how this is done. Listening to what they have to say when it, when there's a recommendation, advice, wisdom on how to care for others and do all that stuff. And, you know, if a woman has a, a plumbing business, listen to her. You know, there's no difference at that point. If they're, if they're the expert in the field and listen to them so but we have to make sure that even if you're complementarian that you recognize that women have wisdom that you don't have as a man and i think that proverbs 31 is actually helpful in this case um because this is a chapter where it shows how women can demonstrate to the world how the church cares for those in need so in Proverbs 31, 20, it says, She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. A lot of times the women in your church are going to be the ones who know where the needs are the most. Listen to them. Make sure they have a voice in this. <clears throat> um, an, an Old Testament scholar, Bruce Waltke, uh, he's talking about this passage. And it's in his... Um, New International Commentary on the Old Testament, page 529 on Proverbs. He says, Pride of place is given to her ministry to the afflicted and destitute in the community. So, the women often are the ones who know best how to serve and who needs to be served. Listen to them. Make sure that's important. I want us to be unifying one another um, in our love for one another. Most importantly, first, our love for God through Christ with our whole being and then to our neighbor. And that requires that we listen to our brothers and sisters, we engage with them, we interact with them, and we care for them, and then we grow in compassion for that. We're going to feel compassion for one another because we care for one another. So um, I want you to be thinking about how your church can serve the members within your congregation to meet some needs that maybe we've been uh, as your church and as a 
Christian community in America specifically have been refusing to do, where maybe we're saying, well, the government takes care of that, or this agency out here takes care of that, or this or this takes care of that, when it's our responsibility to do that. Okay, so be thinking about that. Can we, can we um, upset the apple cart? And instead of foisting people onto Medicaid, can we pro- provide the financial backing to, to make sure that people get the medical care they have, they need? Um, can we make sure that um, people, retirement needs are met? Not that we're sending them on cruises, but that their needs are met and they're not just financially, but also um, emotionally and socially. So be thinking about that. Um, I want to hear questions. Email me at godswordsplay at gmail.com. I'd love to hear some feedback on that, some ideas, some thoughts, what you'd like to hear next. I'm going to be uh, kind of getting into some more text next time and discussing what I think may um, be be even further where we need to go. Maybe um, how I want, how I would envision the church in America to look, um, and and why I think that's the case. So um, I'll remain overall focused on intellectual disabilities, but when this is going to be a bigger issue, and I think though that if we can get this figured out, we're going to care for people with intellectual disabilities and we're going to care for people who don't have intellectual disabilities. So thank you for listening. Uh, Again, you can email me at godsworkdisplayed at gmail.com and hopefully I'll be coming out with a new episode um, soon, again, after this one, kind of as part of this series. All right. Well, I'll talk to you later. Bye.